It's amazing to me to see how when Fur first came, there were things he would do that would just grate on your nerves, you know? And, uh, and he, would, he always had questions. Kerry, I have, a que- I have a question. You know, all the time, I have, I have a question. Hannah, can I have a full frontal hug? No, you're not getting a full frontal hug from my wife, dude. Back off. <laughs> but to see Fernando go... <laughs> to see him go from where he was to where he is, and to... To, to see Fernando be someone who was disconnected and, and who didn't know how to interact with people, you know, and I think it was a struggle before he came here as well, but then you come into a new environment, you speak a different language, you're hairy, you're tall, you're, you know, like, he, he, he came here and it was an awkward thing for him and it was difficult, but God's people surrounded Fernando and they loved him deeply, and the cool thing about it is I think people have a more deep love for Fernando now than they even did before. Uh, you know, people have grown in their respect and their admiration and their love of Fernando. He walks into the gym that we work out at and everybody loves him. It's, it's such a cool thing to see. And I'm really proud of her. But I'm also proud of a church that looks and says, there's a dude from somewhere else who needs help, who doesn't know people, he doesn't speak, <laughs> English isn't great, he's, you know, all these different things, and he needs love, and he needs to be, people loved him enough to do whatever it took to make sure Fernando felt loved, because they cared deeply. And we can't claim to be disciples of Jesus Christ and not care deeply for people. It should distress us when we see people hurting like Paul saw. It should, we should look and we should see that the world is helpless and harassed. That right now minorities feel helpless and harassed. And there's all kinds of reasons that you can get into all kinds of blame games and all kinds of things. But for whatever is going on, we need to see that there's a helpless and harassed and distressed feeling going on in our nation. And we need to address it by loving people. And we need to address it by having the heart of Jesus that says, I'm going to find people who are different than me, and I'm going to make sure that they understand that I care for them, that I love them, and more than anything, that God loves them. And that we were designed to be in relationship with God and with one another. You see, his love for these people was incredible. And what we have to do is we we have to ask ourselves, what do we really truly care about? The second thing that we have to do is I have to initiate contact. You see, when, when he goes there, when Paul goes to Athens and he sees what's going on, he, he has a decision to make. He sees and he has a heart for the people, but what is he going to do with it? And he decides to make contact. And in, uh, in verse 17 and 18, it says, So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day, with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers and a dispute with him. And it says that what he did was is he decided that he was going to go in and he was going to initiate contact with people. Hey, Tim, would it be easier if I just used that handheld? Let's do that. For some reason, it's doing something weird up here too. Is that better? A lot easier? All right, cool. Um, so we have to choose that we are going to initiate contact with people who are different than us. You know, sometimes you go into the college campus and it's very easy for us to go into a situation and when you look around, when you go to a class or when you go into a cafeteria or into the gym, what most people do, including most disciples, is the first thing they scan that room for is what? Who is like me, Right? You look for people who you look like you're going to be, who can I go, who can I connect with here that I'm going to be comfortable connecting with? 
That's what the world has trained us and brought us up to do. But when you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you don't worry and care so much for your comfort. The cross was not comfortable. He knew it wasn't going to be comfortable. He didn't come here to find comfort. He came here to find people who were in need of him. And we've got to be people who initiate contact and not with people, just the easy people who are comfortable for us, but the people who are different, a diverse crowd of people who are in need of a relationship with God. And we've got to look in, we've got to say, man, whoever in this room is in need of a relationship with God, that's who I'm going to find because I, I love and care for them and care for their souls. You see, if I want to bring people to, to, to Christ, the first thing I must do is I must go to them. This is not a come and see religion. It's a go find them religion that we're a part of. A relationship, because that's what relationship does. It goes and it forms bonds and love and care and concern for other people. And you see Paul do that. He goes and he spends time in the synagogue. He was probably pretty comfortable there, right? He was a Jew of Jews. The synagogue would have been easy. It would have been like, you know, I don't know, it would have been like Matt or Mitch going to the gym, right? You know, they're like, hey, hey bro. <laughs> like, that's where they're comfortable. Like, you know, let me throw this weight around. <laughs> that's, that's where they like going. It's where they're comfortable going. It would be like some of you, some of you guys going in and, and going into a game store and being like, let's play Dungeons and Dragons, guys. We're going to get magic out. It's going to be an awesome time. That's where you're comfortable. That's what you like doing. And those things are easy. Those things are easy for you, <laughs> for you to do. Just like it's easy whenever, you, whenever I was at SIUE, you would walk down into the cafeteria. And when you got into the cafeteria, it was cl very clearly divided. There was, there was the Cougar Den and Jason, who was going to be on that right side when you came down the steps in the Cougar Den. <laughs> that was where all of the black frats, sororities, it, it, all the alphas, that's where it was. And you would go in and you would see them sitting there and the, the whole room was full of black people, very few white people in there, except for some stereotypical white people who we all are not gonna go there. And then uh, you would go to another part of the cafeteria and there were the Asian students. You would go to another part and there were the Indian students and then the white students were in another area. And, and it's very easy for us to go down and see where we fit and be like, that's where I'm going because that's going to be easy for me. It's a whole different thing to decide that you're going to infiltrate someone else's comfort zone. Um, Aaron Mitchell, come here, where you at? Uh, I've asked Aaron to, to share some things about this, uh, about initiating contact with you guys. So hold on. <clears throat> you know, so I look at... <laughs> RJ's back there. Uh, so I look at, uh, you know, my life, and it's been... Uh, so different uh, because somebody decided to initiate contact. Uh, I think about, you know, years and years ago at SIUE, um, uh, this girl by the name of Colleen Ruckers, uh, you know, she's, you know, a white girl from a, you know, all-white town. Uh, you know, she decides to initiate contact uh, with my stepdad, who's this crazy black dude from U-City, and these two people cannot be uh, more of the same. They're totally different, two different people. Um, and they decided to initiate contact. And from then, you know, my life completely changed. You know, he eventually ended up uh, meeting uh, my mom and, you know, he became my stepdad. And from then, he initiated contact in my life when he, even he didn't have to. You know, like you look at 
uh, the stereotypes for, you know, you know, black stepdads, you know, they don't really, you know, they don't do anything. They just, you know, they're there for uh, the girl and that's it. But, you know, I look at Darnell and what he did in my life and he, you know, took the time um, to, to care for me, to teach me and to, to love me. You know, he loved me, you know, so much and he still does. And, uh, you know, from then I was able to be able to, you know, coming into high school, I was able to be able to initiate contact uh, with people that went to McClure, you know, the McClure High School and uh, in Florissant. Uh, and it's been crazy and it's been so awesome to, to be able to reach those people. Raise your hand if you're, uh, you went to McClure and uh, you're reached there. You know, it's been, <clears throat> you know, it's been awesome. And that's not, and that's not because of me, you know, that's because of, you know, God's doing. And even, uh, you know, from there, I was able to, you know, take those people, you know, like Darren and, you know, Anthony and Tracy and those people uh, from McClure, and I was able to bring them over to, you know, St. Charles County, where there was another dynamic. There was a, another group of people who were totally different than uh, what we were, and we were able to evangelize there. Uh, a few years ago, um, you know, there was a lot of, lot of stuff with, you know, everything at Ferguson and the riots broke out. And, um, you know, it was just crazy. Uh, it was crazy. Um, uh, and I remember talking to Darren um, and, you know, watching the TV and, uh, you know, there was, you know, tons of rides down, you know, West Florissant and uh, it was right, like right uh, in the, you know, in the backyard of my parents' house. And I remember uh, sitting in the car with Darren and Tracy and I think a few other people. And, uh, you know, we were just watching it happen. Uh, you know, we were sitting on top of the hill just watching uh, you know, just the riots happening. I remember seeing um, people that I sat next to in class. You know, I remember people seeing people that I invited to cross chat. You know, they were out there rioting, you know, looting, you know, uh, acting crazy, you know, acting fools. You know, and from that, uh, you know, like me and Darren and, and, you know, a few other guys decided that we we're going to take action and that we're going to initiate contact. And we ended up going back to, uh, going back to flow, uh, you know, for that semester, and, and we wanted to make a difference, and we wanted to be, you know, people who made a difference in, in the community, because there was, it was, it was so crazy just watching, um, you know, it was so quick to, to turn to something that was just black versus white, you know, and it was so quick to turn to something that, that was just easily segregated, you know, especially with the, you know, the Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, you know, all those movements and all that stuff, it was so easy to to just, you know, quickly, you know, throw those, uh, throw that wall up and to turn something that was, you know, that was that. But, uh, you know, and going to flow, it was so awesome because uh, we were able to meet, uh, you know, Dom and Alamade. And, um, you know, I look at, you know, like Alamade and, uh, you know, he's about to be going back to SIUE, you know, kind of where it all started, you know, and I know he's going to be able to, he's going to meet, you know, somebody totally different, you know, he's going to meet, um, you know, these people that are totally different than he is, and uh, he's, he's a crazy one, but, you know, uh, I don't know, but, you know, I love him a lot. I know he's going to do uh, great things there, but I think it's really important to remember um, that if you guys are going to bring glory to God in our revived diversity, um, then you guys are going to have to be the ones uh, to initiate that contact. And uh, we talk about whenever, you know, somebody... Uh, becomes a part of our family whenever somebody surrenders their life to God, uh, how they bring something so much different uh, than anybody else had. You know, they bring a new, unique dynamic that we never had. And uh, it's really important, and I want to encourage you guys to make sure that you are, you know, make sure that you're pushing that, 
uh, making that push to initiate contact with people that are different than you. Um, you know, because, you know, it's, it's awesome just to be surrounded by people who, are, who bring something new. You know, I would never think that I would be, you know, friends with Carrie or, you know, like Ryan, Ryan Graham or some of the people that I'm friends with. But, you know, it's all possible because of God. You look at the world today and, you know, like there, you know, people are screaming for so many answers, you know, with, you know, black lives and all lives. You know, none of that matters unless you live a life that matters, you know, and that life is in God and that life is in Jesus Christ. And it's, you know, so awesome to know that we have the answer, and it's our, our responsibility to make sure that we share the answer. You know, one of the things that Aaron and I have been talking a lot about is, is exactly that. How do we make contact with people who are so angry with each other and help them make contact with God and with each other? And uh, we have some, some stuff we're working on that we'll eventually tell you guys about. It's exciting. But uh, it really does matter that we are, as disciples, are the ones who are making contact. Because the, the real truth is we're the ones with the answers how to fix it. The world keeps throwing out these stupid ideas about how they're going to fix the race issues that we have going on, and they're dumb ideas, and they don't work. And, it, and, and that's on both sides of the aisle, guys. It is. It's ridiculous. But if everybody, if everyone who claims to be a disciple would be a disciple and would love people deeply and have a deep distress, care, and concern for others, if we would all initiate contact with people who are different than us and we would treat them the way that Christ would teach them, we would, we would solve these issues. But the problem is we're not even solving them in our churches for the most part. And that's, that's something that has to change. You see what Paul did? He goes in and he talks with the Jews in the synagogue, probably easy. Talk to the God-fearing Gentiles, which was probably a little more difficult for him. But then he goes into the marketplace. And then he, he meets with the Epicureans. And, uh, you know, they were... They were people who believed that pleasure and happiness was the chief goal in life. Completely different than what he would have ever uh, believed. He met with the Buddhists like disciples of uh, Zeno, the Stoics, who believed that life's goal was to harmonize with nature and to control their uh, passions. And, you know, all these people he met with were so different than him, but he was going to go and invade their culture, invade their, he was going to initiate it. Like, you know, if you guys know Colleen, it's so funny to think about Colleen coming from this little bitty white town to meet, uh, come to SAUE and meet Darnell from UCU City. It's, it's, but people's lives have been changed because of that. Because that decision was made that I'm not going to allow my comfort to control who I come into contact with. I'm going to have my purpose push me to initiate contact with people who are different than me. And it's something so important for all of us to do. So I have to, I have to really choose to care. I have to initiate contact. And then I have to uh, be willing to appear clumsy. Uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that if you look at verse 18 when Paul's talking to him, one of the things they say is, what is this babbler trying to say as they're, as they're talking about Paul, which is pretty hilarious to think about. But I don't know about you guys or how many of you guys feel clumsy or what groups you feel clumsy around. But for some of you, if you were to walk into SIUE and you were trying to walk into Cougar Den and it's packed, jam-packed full of all these black frat guys, for some of you, you would be like, oh, <laughs> and if you went in there, you would feel like the whitest, most clumsy, transparent person that ever existed. You know, it would, be, it would be so strange for you to be there. While others, you know, it would be different for different people. For me, going into a place and sitting down at a table with a bunch of guys playing magic, I'm going to feel real clumsy because I'm not a nerd. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> 
you know, but, but there are things that you guys that, that are different for us and, and you're going to, you're going to appear and feel clumsy at times when you're trying to, to fulfill the purposes of God, especially when you're initiating contact with people who are different than us. 1 Corinthians 4, 9 and 10 says, it seems to me that God put us apostles on display at the end of a procession. Like men condemned to die in the arena, we have been made a spectacle of the whole universe. To angels as well as to men, we are fools for Christ. You are going to have the chance looking foolish and looking like an idiot if you're going to reach people who are different than you. You really are. And, and sometimes it's not that just that you're feeling foolish. You look foolish. Like it's not a matter of opinion. Maybe I look foolish. No, you do for real. You look bad, you know, but, but that's sometimes what you have to do. So I was thinking about who would look really clumsy going into Cougar Den. And Tanner, I'm sorry, you just came to mind, bud. Uh, <laughs> come here, Tanner. Uh, I'm going to Tanner tell you about a little bit of his journey real quick. <laughs> Hello, um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Tanner. Um, so, yes, I am white. Um, so, <laughs> um, so I grew up in a very small town about two hours south of Chicago um, called Chabance, Illinois, which no one's probably ever heard of. So, <laughs> um, about 800 people live there, so most people's graduating classes, but... Um, the school I went to had, uh, we had like 86 people in my graduating class, and there's about one black kid that went to school with me, and like two Hispanics, and then the rest of us were just country white kids. Um, so, you know, just the topic of being clumsy with uh, diversity is like very fitting because <laughs> I didn't really grow up around any other culture than white, blue collar, you know, and, uh, so, you know, with my dad growing up very blue collar, grew up in an sm even smaller town uh, of like 500 people when he was growing up. And, uh, you know, just going from, from there, um, living there my whole life, to St. Louis, which is like a complete culture shock, you know, like <laughs> for me because not everybody likes to, to fish and, uh, you know, <laughs> wear boots with shorts, and that, that's not normal, but, you know, um, so, <laughs> you know, like, and what, uh, what's crazy is, like, just all the things that God's done in my life, and, like, where he's brought me to, because I never would have expected to, like, you know, be friends with Boston over there, like, one of the darkest men I know, so, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, like, <laughs> um, you know, when I, when I was growing up in Chabance, I didn't, like, see that as a reality for me, you know. Um, I figured I would just grow up and live in Chabance my whole life, because that's what we did. That's, you know, it's a small country town. You, you graduate high school, you get a job, you go into trade, and you die there, you know. <laughs> that's how it happens. And, you know, but God brought me to a place where, like, you know, I am going to be a lot clumsier than most with culture and with what's okay to say, what's not okay to say, and I have a really hard time putting my foot in my mouth, like a lot, so, um, but, you know, it's just really cool to see that uh, 
God's given me that opportunity to try to reach those people. And like Carrie said, I just have like a love for people, even though I don't know like anything about them and I don't know anything about where they came from. And also like Carrie said, just it's really hard for someone like me who's just your stereotypical white guy to like come in and like be accepted by any other culture <laughs> other than white people. So, you know, um, it's uh, definitely a test, you know, and a, it's a task to kind of like try to reach those people and try to um, put myself out there with different uh, people from be different backgrounds. And then with going to UMSL, there's like a lot of foreign exchange, well, not foreign exchange, but uh, international students. So like, even then, like, <laughs> not even knowing where their country's at is like <laughs> another big thing. <laughs> so, um, you know, just that, that challenge again, just um, trying to see what uh, God can do in my life and just um, trying to not be as clumsy, but um, I mean, it's gonna happen, so. You know, <laughs> it, it is one of those things to where the, the awesome thing about uh, people like Tanner is, is even if they are clumsy, uh, they're willing to try. And, and that's something that, you know, if people know that you love and care for them, they can look over clumsiness. They can overlook us saying something stupid or something that we, he was telling me a story about uh, Aldo and Eliza. And he had made a statement talking to Aldo and Eliza about not trusting and not, not being able to trust Asian food <laughs> and how he just didn't know what was in it. And he thought nothing of it. And, and Aldo, for those of you who don't know, is from Indonesia. And he's like, dude, you can't say that. That's hurtful. Like, he just, you know, like, and they had a conversation about it. But the cool thing was is that bothered Tanner that he would have said something that could have hurt them, even though it was clumsy and he didn't mean to. But the thing is that Aldo and Eliza also know his heart. You know, I think if all of us were honest, everybody in here has probably said something that was racially insensitive. Whether you meant it in a bad way or not, you, we've all said something. You guys, I can tell you from experience, I know that I've done that. I, I think about some of the things me and my fr friends used to say to each other, and if I said them now, I would be taken out in the street and and drugged by a car. Like some of the stuff we used to call each other, you don't do now, you know? And we were, we were crazy. I've been called honky and white boy and all kinds of stuff more times than I can count. But it was by people who I loved and people who loved me and it didn't really phase me. We get so uptight sometimes about things and sometimes we just need to realize sometimes people are gonna be clumsy. They might say something stupid. But what we need to learn to do is look at people's hearts and say, where's their heart? Do they love me? Do they care for me? Or are we, am I gonna hold some small, stupid statement that someone made that was clumsy against them? And we also have to be the people who are willing to be clumsy. It's scary going into a situation knowing you might say something dumb and somebody might hate you for it. But, you, but as followers of Christ, we still do those things. We still initiate that contact, even if we're going to be clumsy with it. Uh, the, the next thing is that I need to enter into their into their culture, and we've kind of talked about this a little bit, but it says they took him and brought him to the Areopagus. You know, it, it's not enough to be around diversity. We have to enter into the diversity. You know, when you live on a college campus, whether you like it or not, you're going to most likely to be in a diverse area. It's a totally different thing to enter into someone's culture on that campus. It is, it is a totally different thing. 
And, and while it may be uncomfortable and it may be scary at times, you do those things. And once you start doing them and you start engaging in it, then you, start, you don't think anything about it at all. Like it doesn't even phase you. I, I, so we used to do this thing over in Illinois called Gate, all right? And Gate, <laughs> it was the Greater Alton Teen event. And what we would do is you would get up in the mornings and you would study the Bible with people. And then, or you would get up in the mornings and be trained to study the Bible with people. Then in the afternoons, you would go out and then you would invite all over the place for the, vas- the basketball tournament you were having that night or the volleyball tournament or whatever it might be. Well, when I was probably seven, I was probably 18 or 19 years old, we had this group of youth ministry come from this little town in Missouri called, I think it was around the Dixon area. And if you don't know what Dixon is, um, Imagine like last night when you were at our house with all those trees around you, only trees like that for 100 miles. <laughs> like, you know, that's how you feel. It's the sticks. And so they come in and they come to Alton for the Greater Alton Teen event. And we're like, all right, let's do the training. We did the training for the study. And we're like, oh, we're going to go invite people. So we get in my car and we, we go and we, we get down and we start pulling into the projects. And all of a sudden I see these kids in my backseat doing this. Well, what are we doing? We're going to invite for the basketball tournament. Why? <laughs> where? What, where are we at? I'm like, get out of the car. We're going to go invite people. And, you know, it was like, you would have thought that I was asking them to murder someone. Like, the doors are like, they're like, Craig. You know, to make matters worse, while we're out there doing this, they're in, the, in this row of projects, they're selling drugs. And these two drug dealers come down to the car just when I get them out of the car. And they're like, you need to leave. And I was like, no, we don't. We're going to invite for a gate. No, you're leaving. No, we're not leaving. You know, and I'm standing there. It's like in a movie. You know how in a movie like one person's talking and they think that people have their back. And then they turn around and they're like, where did they go? Like, it, that's what, it was like. You would have swore it was like <laughs> Matt's hiding, Mai's hiding from a cat. Like it was, you know, the door, I'm like, they're back in the car. And I'm like, so I'm having this conversation. And luckily I look down the row and the guy who's kind of ringling and leading the whole thing is my friend, James's brother, Nick. And I'm like, Nick, would you please do something here? So, you know, Nick's like, hey, leave them alone. They're all good. So I'm like, hey guys, get out of the car. And they're like, <laughs> what? Like getting out of this car? What's wrong with you? You know? I'm like, get out of the car. So we get out of the car, we go and we invite, and we had a bunch of kids come that night to the basketball tournament. But you want to talk about something that was scary for them was entering into that culture was scary for them. And and I had to be patient with them because they hadn't been around that. And and so, you know, for me it felt like normal at that time, you know, like I found a friend on Facebook I hadn't seen in 20 years and his name's Jamal and I found him on Facebook and got, ended up getting his phone number, I called him, I'm like, what's up Jamal? He's like, Carrie, what are you doing? Like, you know, it was like a reunion, you know? And I was like, he was like, man, I told my mama that I found, you found me on Facebook, she's so excited. I said, your mom remembers me? He was like, yeah, she said, you mean that crazy white boy that come and hang out in the projects all the time? <laughs> and you know, and like, it's one of those <laughs> It's one of those things to where we've got to make a decision that we're going to put ourselves in a, in a different environment, in a different culture. And it can be a scary thing at times to do that. It can be scary because of the neighborhood. It can be scary because of the fear of being clumsy. It can be scary for the fact that we just feel not, like we're not equipped, like we're not capable of helping. But we've got to make a decision that we're going to enter into that culture. You know, I think about, you know, over the years, times in that we had friends who ran a Chinese restaurant over in, in Illinois. 
And Sam and Lily went from being the people who owned the Chinese restaurant to being our friends to where you would get called over and, invite, and invited to come celebrate Chinese New Year and you go and you're like one of like six white people at their house and there's Chinese going everywhere around you. The food was awesome though. But you know, it's like, but you're, you know, like you go into these situations that you sometimes don't feel prepared for because that's what you do when you're trying to, to reach people who are different than you. That's what you do when you're trying to make disciples. And, and, and you can use that going into their culture and allowing them to teach you about their culture to help reach them. People want to be known, you know? And when you enter into their culture and you allow them, you're there to teach them about Christ, but if you can allow them to teach you about their lives and their background and their traditions and their history and what goes on in their lives, they're like, man, there's a connection that forms that allows you to more easily speak the word of God to them, but you've got to be the one to initiate contact and you've got to enter in to a different culture. And you can't be so afraid of doing that. You know, I, I think about things that we've done in the past. We used to do a thing called We're the World Sunday. And we would get all of our international students and people from different backgrounds and, church, and uh, countries at the church. And we would set up booths all the way around the church. And we've done it here in the last year or so. And you have them come, they, they decorate a booth that looks like their country and they cook foods from their country. And, and you just provide opportunities to enter their culture and also to let them know you care about their background, their culture and who they are. And it, it makes it so much easier in order to reach people, but then also we have to choose to communicate when you're in their culture. See, you have to choose to communicate carefully, right? There are certain things that you shouldn't and, and, don't, and don't say. There are certain things when you're interacting with people, you have to be wise about the way that you communicate. And we have to speak words that connect us to them. You know, whenever Paul went to the Areopagus, he could have went in and been like, what's wrong with you people? There's idols everywhere, you know, and just like thrown this fit. But when he goes into him, he's like, man, I can tell that you're a deeply religious people. You know, and, and he looks and he says, I see you worship these things. And he's using words that they can identify with, but also he can identify with. He's being careful. He's being wise. He's being shrewd about the way that he's communicating with them because he wants to have the opportunity to get to truth. But if you say something so offensive or so stupid or so short-sighted that you shut the conversation down, you never are able to help anybody. There are things that I can say to Aaron about what I believe about what's going on in our culture with racism, I can say to Aaron that I couldn't say up here, in all honesty. Aaron knows my heart. Aaron knows who I am. He knows my, he knows my background. And he knows whenever I say things, he, I don't have to worry about Aaron going, well, Carrie's a racist. You know, like, there have been, I've been on conversations on Facebook with friends or with people, and, you know, they start calling me a racist on Facebook, and they're like, oh, because you have one black friend, you think you can say fill in the blank. And my friends are messaging me from, from Alton, you want me to step in here and deal with this? You know, and I'm like, no, it's not, it's okay. You know, my one, my, you know, and, but because I have to be careful with what I say, because not everyone does know me. Not everyone does know my heart, you know, but Aaron and I can have a conversation about what we think needs to be done in a way that maybe I can't have otherwise. And that's why Aaron and I, we've been talking for a while about things that we could do and we have some ideas of what we want to do, but we're being very, very careful because it's a hot topic. It's a hot issue right now that can bring about really good things or really bad things. And so it's something that, you, that we've got to be more wise and careful with. And sometimes we say things that we don't even realize are hurtful or we um, don't say things that should be said and it causes people to be pushed away from God. So Joy's going to come up here and uh, talk to us for just a moment about that.
Hi, um, I'm Joy. Um, when I was 17, uh, I got pregnant in high school. Um, and uh, my life just kind of changed from there. Um, a lot of people, you know, kind of group like teen moms into like a certain category. Like they just kind of, you know, put them in a like separate pile. Like, oh, their life's gonna be like this now because this happened to them. And then like when you're like a young black teen mom, um, that just that's just where they put you. Um, and so when I did get pregnant, um, you know, I was like in pretty good standing in high school. Um, I was like in student council, my grades were good and stuff, but automatically like people were like, so you're not gonna go to college, right? Like you're gonna, um, you know, um, just stay at home and do these things. And I don't think like, you know, they meant to be, you know, just kinda, they didn't mean to be hurtful, but you know, they made me really feel like incapable, like of doing anything, but you know, being put into this category of like, oh, so you're gonna be put on like, um, you know, just kind of go straight to like government assistance and um, go straight to work and not to college and stuff. And um, even doctors, like even doctors whenever, cause Savannah has special needs. She's over there in the little wheelchair. Sometimes she'll scream, so. <laughs> um, uh, even doctors, like, because she does have special needs and um, a lot of uh, the parents that um, come in with their children that have special needs, they're, um, they're not as young as I am and they're not, um, they don't come from the background that I do. And so there's doctors, whenever they would talk about, like, uh, you know, her epilepsy, her, um, her cerebral palsy and use big words, like big, you know, diagnosis and stuff like that, they just kind of talk to me like, like I was dumb, like I wouldn't understand. Um, and, you know, that's hurtful because like I've read up about this stuff, like I've tried to, um, you know, kind of like, I, I understand like more than what they're giving me credit for. And uh, that is hurtful. And like, even like with getting her into preschool, like it's been like a struggle, like going to like, uh, cause she's gonna go to Francis Howell, out here Francis Howell's predominantly white, um, and uh, I go in and I don't see any black kids, like I don't, I don't see many Hispanic kids and stuff, and so I go in and like, you know, different people are, they're like, oh, what, like, what are you here for? Like, just kind of like trying to fill me out and stuff, and I'm like, I, well, my daughter's trying to go to preschool, like, and um, so, and like, I don't know, like, a lot of um, things that people say like out in the world, like it makes different people feel like incapable. Um, I know that's definitely true for me, but like when I did come to the church and started going across chat, like instead of people, you know, automatically seeing me with like my daughter, or, like when I first came, I was pregnant. So whenever they see me, like a lot of people out in the world, they're like, oh, who's the dad? Like, is the, is the dad in the picture and stuff? And they would say stuff like that. And like, you know, if you don't know me, like you don't know my life, like that's hurtful, like to say to me and to just anyone. Like, I don't think, like if I was like, 30 and like white, like I don't think anybody would, like out in the world would be like, oh, who's the dad? Like if I was pregnant and going to like, you know, anywhere with my daughter or, you know. Um, but when I did come around, like people, like around the church, they were like, uh, um, you know, like, do you have support? Like just, they use their words more carefully. Like, do you have support? Like, is there anything that we could do to help? 
Um, and I didn't get that in the world. Like, when I, like, it was just straight to like, oh, you should, you know, apply for government assistance and this will be taken care of. And, you know, I didn't really think I had much of an option before the church besides like, you know, go straight to work, don't get your degree, like, just kind of stay with your mom. Um, don't do the things that, you know, that they believe are like more far-fetched for me. Um, but like, just since coming to the church, like, I've gotten my license like at 20. Um, and uh, like, I've had the opportunity to like, move into a different apartment and like, go back to school and uh, do things that like, people before like, I don't know. I don't know if they like didn't think I was capable of or just didn't like know my heart or know my background or much, but they saw that I was like 18, black and had a baby and um, just kind of like assumed and um, you know, that I was like a certain way and you know, then they spoke to like someone a certain way and um, you know, like that can really, um, push someone away. Like, I've heard like different, like other teen moms like my age um, go like to different churches and like, you know, they, like people won't talk to them. People won't come up and, you know, ask them how their life is going or anything. They won't really say much. They'll just be like, oh, like this is um, your circumstance. You know, they won't do anything um, for them really, but like, here, like, I have people, like, a part of my life that um, ask how she's doing every day. They, um, you know, they're concerned with, like, what, um, like, what she needs, like, how she's taken care of and stuff like that. And so, um, but if I would have come to CrossChat and someone would have been, like, you know, come up straight to me and just been, like, oh, who's the dad? Like, and, um, you know kind of said the things that were out in the world, like, I don't think I'd be here. Um, I don't think, like, she would grow up here. Cause she's almost three and, like, she was basically, like, born, like, born, not born, oh gosh. Um, like, <laughs> she, like, I came when I was pregnant and she's, like, been here for three years. And so I don't think we'd have that at all at any other church because, you know, it's just not the same. So guys, you know, we need to think, just think about the words that we say when we're entering and we're, and we're dealing with people and being, and being sensitive to what's going on and the situations that they're in, where they've been, what they've gone through. Uh, it's important. And, and then finally, I just have to have some deep convictions about, about this. You see, Paul did everything he can to communicate in a way that was attractive to people, but he also wasn't afraid to be real and honest with them because he does tell them, you know, he goes on and it says he reasoned with them and he talked with them and he started sharing the truth with them. And there are times where people come to cross chat and we, Aaron or I will have a conversation with someone and while we try to be loving and caring and kind and think about what we're saying and communicating carefully, they also need to hear truth because the world's answers, again, are not the right answers. And sometimes we need to say, no, that's not the right answer, and be honest with them about how to fix issues that are going on in our world from God's word rather than from human perspective. And we need to have these deep convictions that say things are, things are going to be different in the church. You know, we've, we've got to be people who care deeply for people regardless of what they look like or where they come from. 
And we've got to be people who initiate that contact. We, you know, and we can't worry about looking stupid or silly. We have to enter into that culture. We have to communicate carefully, have deep convictions about God's word. But ultimately, guys, we just need to love each other. You know, when people come into the crossings, you know, when you look at what's going on here, we're in a, in a, in a county that like less than 10% of the county. It's, I think it's actually like when we moved here, I think it was like 2%. And I think it's like 4 or 6% African-American in St. Charles County now. But when you look at our church, those numbers don't add up. So it's cool because people come into the church and they're like, this is weird. Where did all, the, where did all these African-American people come from? You know, guests who come in, they're like, it, it doesn't match with the, with, the, with the society around us. And that's awesome. That's a great example of God's kingdom. It's a chance for the world to look and say, oh, this is how it can be. And we get to say, no, this is how it should be, right? This is what, this is what it should look like. You know, it, it, it should look like this. You know, I, I was looking and you, you, we just, we've got to be people who are more loving. They, they made a picture to make fun. They took my picture and then they're making fun of me with it. So we'll put, put it up. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> They're so funny. <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> you know that you guys, but when it comes to God's kingdom, this should be the place where people know, regardless of what their skin color is, regardless of what country they come from, regardless of what accent they have, that they know they can come here and they can find a place that's gonna be loving and accepting. And they can find a place where they can find family where they never would have imagined they would find family. That's what the kingdom of God should be. It's something our ministry should focus on and make an emphasis because it shows a contrast to the world, the difference in God's people and the difference in the world. All right, let's pray. We're running a few minutes late. We're gonna take a 10 minute break, jump into classes. And what time is it right now? Okay, so let's, let's just start at 11 and we'll do a class at 11, 12. Everything is gonna be back a half hour. We got a little bit late start this morning. So um, we'll move everything back. So get, get something to drink, go to the bathroom, whatever you need to do. All right, we're gonna pray and then we'll jump into classes. Father in heaven, I uh, just wanna thank you again for... Uh, Bringing us together, God, a group of people who have uh, so few things in, in common in so many ways, God, but we all have the thing that's the most important in common, and that's a relationship with you, God. And you help us to see that the things that we can see here, God, uh, whether it be uh, color or the accents that we hear or the countries we come from are all temporary things that really don't matter at all. And God, you, uh, you can put us in a loving relationship with, with you and with one another, and we're so grateful for that, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.